Send the light, send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore. Welcome to the Send the Light podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tyson, here with my co-host, my good friend and evangelist, Brother Michael Bolton. How are you today, Brother Mike? I'm doing well, Matt. How, and you? Doing pretty good. So, Brother Mike has moved here recently from the Tri-City areas out in Washington to labor at the Cedar Terrace Church of Christ, where I attend, and we're glad to have him. How are you enjoying it out here so far? I love it. I love the climate in Iowa, in this part of the country. And uh, how about the people? Have you noticed a difference in culture? Yes, it tends to be a bit more conservative. (laughs) Well, in my opinion, I think that's not not a terrible thing. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Our hope and prayer is that we're able to help bring relevant, important Bible topics to your attention and explore what the Bible says regarding those topics. If you're here in the Waterloo or Cedar Falls or surrounding areas, we'd love to have you visit with us. Uh, We meet at 2543 Cedar Terrace Drive in Waterloo. We assemble Sundays at 1030 a.m., Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have free resources that we can send you. We have Bible courses by mail, and we also love to study the Bible with folks in person. Feel free to reach out to us on our website at www.cedarterracecoc.com. You can find us at our Facebook page at Cedar Terrace COC, or we will include the email, our email addresses and phone numbers on the screen or in the podcast notes. Uh, Brother Mike, why don't you explain to our audience what our topic is for today? Well, after some consideration, we decided to talk about the idea of fearing God. So are we supposed to be scared of God? Not in the common sense of being scared. It's not a phobia. But the scripture does tell us uh, to fear God. Jesus said that himself in Luke 12, verse 5. I'm very excited to, to hear what you have to say about it, obviously, Um, I've got some thoughts on the topic as well that uh, I'm looking forward to sharing as well. Before we get too far into our study, would you offer a prayer for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you've given to us for this opportunity to study your precious word with our friend and brother, Matt. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to rightly divide it and apply it to our hearts and lives so that we may be better uh, Christians and citizens than what we have been before. Father, we pray that we will send the light to the lost and to those who are in hurt and those who are in need. We pray, Father, that your will will have right of way in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So on the topic of fearing God or having a fear of God, would you say that in uh, earlier centuries, uh, times gone by, that people have had a fear for their rulers at the time? Absolutely. Eastern monarchies, uh, talking about monarchies in the Middle East and things like that in ancient times, would have a certain process that you would go through to uh, meet or to stand in front of the king or the sultan or whomever uh, you may be addressing. Well, actually, before we, were, uh, before we started recording today, we were talking about Esther you know, and how yes. fearful she was about going to the king. Mind if I read that passage again? No, please do. Esther chapter 4, verse 11 says, All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king 
who has not been called, he has but one law put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days. Esther was afraid to go into the king, who was at that time her husband, and address him because she was in fear of her life. Mm -hmm. The thing that I find interesting about that really is, you know, it seems like some people today have this view of God, like that he's evil or that, you know, you know, that he's a moral monster, you know, but back in, in the time of Esther and, and other earlier monarchies, like it wasn't a problem they had towards the, the, the monarch. Like they didn't look at the monarch poorly because of the fear right. that the people had of them. And that's what I think is important with God is, is we should have a reverence for God rather than thinking, you know, God is a moral monster. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, I think uh, in times gone by, as you mentioned, there have been many uh, people in power who have demanded fear. Uh, yeah. Some of the ones that we had wrote down for the purpose of this uh, lesson today was Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great had his wife and his in-laws murdered, uh, basically out of fear for his rivals. Cleopatra VII had her own sister murdered when she found out that she wanted to be Pharaoh. King Henry VIII, well, I mean, there's plenty of issues there, but had the Duke of England murdered for treason, and Augustus had his own daughter exiled for living a life of immorality. And I'm sure there's more. There, there are absolutely more. Absolutely. We can even see some in foreign countries today where the people just have a, a fear of those that rule over them. I think that it's interesting uh, regarding the, the interesting thing regarding monarchies is that it's synonymous with absolutism. Have you ever heard of that word before? Yes. What do you, what do you, when you think of absolutism, what comes to your mind? That it's this way or this thing and nothing else. And I think that applies very fairly to the idea of a monarchy. This person is king or supreme ruler and nobody else is. Mm-hmm. What I say goes. You know? That's right. And, and that's, so important when you consider the being a Christian is when you're when when you obey the gospel when you're added to the church it's not just you receiving the benefits of that transaction you're also recognizing you're implying by that by that deed that you're no longer ruler of your life right you have submitted yourself to the rulership or governorship, the authority we like to use sometimes of another person. That person, of course, is King Jesus. I think about one passage that comes to mind, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, do you do not be deceived? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor, uh, nor adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And those, those things that he mentioned and all those sins 
were things that they were guilty of, but they were washed and sanctified by, by the blood of Jesus. And we see what that means at the end of the chapter in verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you may have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You know, and that's that's the 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 deal that we make as Christians. Right. Is recognizing that I I receive forgiveness of my sins by being a Christian, but that's at the the expense, if you will, and I don't want to make it sound like a bad thing, but the, the expense of recognizing that I'm not my own anymore. Right. I now have somebody I'm submitting to. Someone I'm submitted to. This change that we talk about when a person is converted and becomes a Christian involves so much more than just, as you said, than just what our benefits are. There's that, but it's a change of allegiance. And I think we miss the mark when we see it as anything else. It's a change of who is in charge of who's, who's the boss, you know? So Christianity being a monarchy, if we can use that term, um, for better or for worse, that's, that's the way it is. Christ is king. No one else is. No one else can be. The Bible mentions in multiple places, just to name a few, John 12, verse 15, the king is coming. First Timothy 6, verse 15, king of kings, Lord of lords. John 18, verse 37, Jesus, uh, in his discourse with Pilate, Pilate said, so are you a king? And Jesus says, you say that I am, you know, implying that what he said is, is right. how it is. And so I think a relevant question for us today is recognizing, I mean, ultimately, Christianity is a monarchy. Do we fear King Jesus? Do we fear the ones the, the the one who has rule over us today? Can we gauge that in our own life by the way we approach him? I think so. By the way we address him? By the way we come to worship him. Reverence. Yes. You know, how we prepare our minds on the That's Lord's right. day and that kind of thing. I think that it's important to recognize the power of God. And, and why he demands that reverence. Right. Uh, I want to read uh, Hebrews, in Hebrews uh, 12, verses 28 29. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Now, you talked earlier uh, how we wanted to talk about fear. We just mentioned the idea of being reverence and showing, you know, our reverence to God demonstrates how we view God as ruler of our life. Whenever I think of fear, I think about being afraid of something. But this says Godly fear to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Do you have any thoughts on what he means by that? So, confession. I'm afraid of heights. I, it's it's a serious phobia for me. I've lost jobs because I just can't <laughs> work up high like that. And it's ridiculous, but it is. That's the way it is. This is much different than that. That's a almost uncontrollable physical response. When we talk about fearing God, it's not uncontrollable and it's not just a physical response. 
I understand it to be a disciplined approach to our respect to God, to our concern for His will in our life. I think these, those things are implied in this idea of a godly fear versus a physical fear. I agree. <clears throat> I think that when you consider physical fear, I mean, even by definition, it's a different type of fear. Merriam-Webster defines physical fear as an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. But when we look up the word fear throughout the Bible, that's not what, at all what we find. In Job 1 verse 1, the Bible says, one who feared God. Um, in the original language, that word for fear there is yalre, which according to Strong's means reverent. Proverbs 1 verse 7 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the, the original word being yira, which Strong's uh, says means reverence. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments, y'all ray, meaning be, being afraid. Uh, Luke 1, verse 50, his mercy on those who fear him from generation to generation, meaning uh, phobeo, meaning revere. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, phobos, according to Strong's meaning, reverence or respect. And so we can see even just by those several uh, passages and what that word fear means is it's not talking about an utter dread or, right. or being afraid. It's, it's talking about that reverence. You mentioned Job. Let me jump in here. Job 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and shunned evil. It seems to me that those are descriptors, descriptions of Job's life, of his lifestyle, of his, of his mindset. And so uh, an idea of fearing God includes blameless mm -hmm. walk and upright living and shunning evil. I absolutely agree. I guess I've not really noticed that before. That's, I think, very relevant to the, the topic. In uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 and yeah. 10, we see kind of another similar idea in the, the point of fear. Uh -huh. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Oh, 1 Timothy, I'm in 2 Timothy. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. You were talking just a minute ago about Job and how those other uh, things kind of encompass fearing God. And I think that's what we find here with Timothy as well is what it means to show reverence for God. He, he talks about godliness um, that word godliness, according to Strong's, is theosubeia, which means reverence for God or fear of God. You know, That's good. And so I don't think that it's uh, being... I think we should have, have a dreadful fear of God knowing what he's capable of. And the power, the, the, just the utter power of God is just beyond our comprehension. But if we understand God, it will force us to have a reverence for yes. God godliness 
in Hebrews 12 verses 28-29 what we read a minute ago uh, where it says for our God is a consuming fire serving God acceptably with reverence and godly fear those words are translated as eulabia meaning reverence and delios awe to serve God with reverence and godly fear to serve God with reverence and awe and so I think you know absolutely just like with Job like and other examples we find in scripture living a lifestyle that's acceptable and pleasing to god will force us to have reverence and awe for an almighty deity well it'll create a desire because we'll recognize who god is and we'll begin to understand in some measure the holiness of god which i think is an awesome aspect Revelation 4, verse 8, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Now, talking about fear, what about the idea of fearing to cause God sorrow and heartache? You know, the Bible says to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, and we obviously just read what those words mean. But to me, in the life of a Christian, we should want to have a godly fear as the result of our submission to God, fearing fearing anything but what is pleasing to him, fearing to cause him grief when we give him the temptation, yeah. recognizing how wicked sin really is. And so many examples in the scripture tell us, show us of what it looks like when people do that and go on purposefully causing God grief mm -hmm. and sorrow. If you think about even with Noah, you know, yes. at the time, the whole, you know, the, this world that he created and this world that he created to fear him, you know, to people to, to worship and revere him had turned their backs on him. Right. And the Bible says that it mourned him, like it caused him grieved grief. Him. Yeah, it grieved him how, how these people who he created and blessed had just turned away from him. And God repented that he had made man. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Psalm 89 verse 7. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. I believe we should have a godly fear for him, for, for God. You know, that should be something that we strive for in the life, in our, our Christian walks is if we are not in a point in our life where we revere him that we respect him and 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 fear fear him and and want to give him that glory he deserves that's an opportunity we have as christians to grow and and something we need to work on i love the idea of it being an opportunity that's uh it is it's a chance for us to grow and get to the point where we understand our creator our king on a different level than what we do now that's why I often pray that I will be better Christian, better citizen, better person than what I am today because of my knowledge and understanding of God and of who he is. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we talked earlier uh, when we first started talking, we were talking about how we prepare our minds for worship. Yes. Can we demonstrate a godly fear out of how we prepare our minds and our hearts for worship? Do we find examples of that in scriptures that you can think of? 
put you on the spot. Yeah, put me on the spot. Yeah, that's good. Um, no. I'm sure there are, though. I'm sure there are, too. The, the only one I was thinking of was David in Psalm 122. You know, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Okay. You know, he was, it, it brought him joy to know that he was going to worship God. And that's something that I think about with us today do we demonstrate a godly fear by our attitude towards our worship to God? Meaning, and this is a question, meaning then is our worship casual and what suits us and what's good for us? Or is our worship to please him and do what he has asked us to do in our, in our worship? I think absolutely that's a huge indicator of quite honestly whether or not I'm attending the right the right church amen you know whenever we're spending when when the church is making decisions and spending more money on entertainment and what can we do to get more and more and more and more people versus what do the scriptures say you know the bible illustrates very clearly that our our worship's to be simple it is it's demonstrated in scripture as really simple worship, not confusing, you know. I think that question, what does the Bible say, is a key indicator for our entire life, private life, public life, worship life, whatever form it may take, of do we have the proper fear or respect for God? When we want to do what the Scripture says, no matter what it costs us, then I think we're beginning to get to the point where we recognize that he is king and we are not. Mm-hmm. Because this book is his revealed word, is his revealed will to us, what he wants us to do, what he wants us to be like. We see a lot of strange fires in the religious world today. Yes. You know, like with Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fires to the Lord. That's what the Bible says. And I find it, the, the interesting thing about that was it says they offered strange fires to the Lord. They did this thing that God didn't command them to do. And they said, they, they indicated that they were doing it for God. Right. God didn't want that. It's not at all what he wanted. He, he didn't accept it. You, you were asking about preparedness for worship. Um, there is a school of thought. I've read about that believe that Nadab and Abihu were intoxicated uh, to some degree because they had just been coordinated or anointed as as priests and this whole ceremony in, involved a you know a feast a, a huge celebration and things like that and then they went in to offer strange fire to offer sacrifice and in the process this school of thought says that they accidentally used strange fire i don't know whether or not it was an accident i can't tell you whether or not they were intoxicated from a sugar rush or from drinking alcohol or whatever it may have been i can tell you it was strange fire that word means profane unacceptable fire unholy that god had not designated and what's interesting to me is we often read the first two verses there and then skip the third verse 
In the third verse, God tells Moses to tell Aaron, do not weep for mm -hmm. your sons. I am holy and all who approach me must approach me in holiness or in reverence. And I think that that is a, a very key fact that we need to bring into my, into the picture when we talk about Nadab and Abihu. Mm -hmm. One one thing I, I've actually used that illustration or, or brought up that point in a sermon myself is you know don't even mourn for them. Yeah, you know that's, hard. that's that's powerful. I think that in the Old Testament, I I, I just flipped over to Exodus twenty uh, verses eighteen and nineteen. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Yes. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And I think fear in the Old Testament and the New Testament were different, because in the Old Testament, you know, if they did something, I mean, just like with Nadab and Abihu, they disobeyed God and they were struck dead. Like, they saw literal, apparent, uh, quick discipline. Immediate, yeah. Immediate, yeah, immediate consequence for their actions. The consequence for disobeying God today is if we die in that condition, we're separated from God, you know? Right. We live in a day of amazing grace um, that through Christ... Our sins, our wrongs, can be forgiven. We don't have to suffer those immediate consequences like they often did. Having said that, I do believe that the New Testament is different, in, and I think this highlights one of the major differences between the Old and the New Testament, is how people responded to God. Because in the Old Testament, God dealt with man more directly today as hebrews 1 1 and 2 teaches us he teaches us through his son he has spoken to us through his son and the new testament also teaches us that his son christ jesus will judge us at the last day so our sins our deeds whatever they are are put forward to the time when we stand before christ in judgment and there is to be a fear of god but that fear should lead us to repentance. Mm -hmm. I think that's a major difference between godly fear and physical fear. Physical fear will cause you to quit a job, as I did. You know, It will cause you to walk away. I can't do this. Godly fear will cause you to repent, to change your mind, to change your life, to submit to the will of God. You bring up a good point in the Old Testament the, the discipline was immediate. The judgment was yeah. immediate. Had Nadab and Abihu lived in the time that we live today, they may have been given opportunity to repent of that wrong worship, that will worship, the profane right. worship. Millions of, a millions of people today are offering profane worship to God. Right. And they're fortunate. They're, they are extremely blessed because God is offering them an opportunity to correct those wrongs. Yeah. Uh, 2 Peter uh, 3, verses 8 through 10, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And that gives us the answer right there right. of why Jesus has not come back yet. You know, how much how much does God love the erring, the, the sinner? Enough, he is long-suffering enough that none should perish. And we've been blessed with time uh, from God to study what the Bible says about worship and about reverence to God yes. and worship him the way he wants us to. Something maybe for a future podcast, this is one of the major flaws in the doctrine called Calvinism. Calvinism teaches that God hates the sinner. That's not what the New Testament portrays at all. That God loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. The world is a reference to those who are without Christ, to those who are in sin. God loves the sinner. Well, if you think about that passage, you know, if you went and and continued in that passage (laughs) in John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Amen but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that right there going along with what you just said, you know, he sent his only begotten son to die so that anybody who believed in him should not perish. So there is a reason for fear because there's the possibility of condemnation. Mm -hmm. But that fear can be overshadowed because God loves us so much that he sent his son to die, mm-hmm. his only begotten son. When we think about worship, kind of going back to the profane worship that's offered yeah. in the religious world around us, I think a relevant question, and this is a question that I've asked, I'm sure it's a question that you've asked yourself, but why are we here? You know, why, literally, when you, when, when, you, know, when you go to church, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, you go, you go to the assembly to offer worship to God. You know, I sit there and I think, why, like, why am I here? What's my purpose here? For many people, they are, they sit in that pew because mom and dad made them come, you know, or because maybe they're still living at home. They're, they're, they're grown. They're still living at home. They're still following mom and dad's directives. Some people sit in that pew because it brings an ease to a, a guilty conscience. Right. You know, how many people live their lives Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, and then go to church on Sunday to make themselves feel better? Yeah. Um, some people go to church to socialize. You know, it's a social event for many people. Some people go to uh, go to go to church for the, the their their preacher or to hear a sermon. You know, to, to feel like going back to the earlier one to feel good about to themselves. Feel good. Yeah. Um, some people go to church for the singing, you know, the singing and the, 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 that aspect of it. What should be our true purpose for worship? To glorify God. Mm-hmm. Psalm 18, verse 3 I will call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised. Revelation 4, verse 11 Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. First Chronicles 16, verse 29, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Due unto his name. Yeah. I like that. Owed, you know? Yes. Like, we owe it. If, 
Yes, and that's a debt that we can pay, at least in a limited sense. Mm-hmm. We can worship God in spirit and in truth. We can do what God expects us to do. I like to say that God is not like a Buddha or one of the Hindu gods or goddesses. He's not, Paul says, we're not groping in the dark after him. But he has revealed himself. He has revealed his will. So we can praise him in a, in a true and spiritual fashion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Going back to Esther, you mentioned Esther earlier. How do you think she felt when she actually stood before the king? I think she was scared out of her mind and then relieved when he lifted the golden scepter to her Yeah, to signify that he accepted her person. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had a mission. She had a responsibility. That's why in a few verses after that, it's recorded that she said, if I perish, I perish. I have this responsibility that I have to take care of. Yeah. <clears throat> you said it right there. You... If I perish, I perish. She had a responsibility. Yes. She had a responsibility to her people. That's right. You know, to, to, to herself, her family, her people. She had a responsibility to God. You know, just like just like it said, you know, you were brought here for such a time as this. That's right. And that's powerful. I wonder how many people today are going to feel when they stand before their king. Many people today are quite honestly you know the bible has taken such a back seat in many people's lives it's it's something you take the church with you it's something that you leave on the 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 coffee table in the living room opened up to a certain passage but if we have a godly fear if we want to show reverence to god that bible is going to have much more active part in our life Yes, because it gives us direction and guidance. Light is the word that is often used um, for every area and facet of our life. So as we fear God and learn more about his will, we incorporate it into our life. Do you think that there will be people that stand before God one day and they are fearful because they realize, I don't know why, why I did what I did. I don't know why I worshipped the way I worshipped. I don't know why I lived the way I live. What's that going to feel like? I, I can't imagine. And I don't profess to know everything or to understand what I do know even fully. But we can know. I don't think we have an excuse to forsake the assembly or to offer will or profane worship. Because it has been revealed. We do know. We do have God's will given to us. I think that's a very relevant question that I hope our listeners contemplate is, are you ready and prepared to meet your king? That, that monarch, that Praise ruler of your life, are you prepared to stand in front of him? Can very you good. give an account for the way that you've lived, the way you've talked, the way you've worshipped? I think that's extremely relevant. I fear, I have a fear of standing before God because of his power. Because I recognize that 
no matter how hard I try, I've let God down. You know, mm-hmm. we don't, you know, there's people that have New Year's resolutions. Okay, we're four days in. I'm sure I've let God down. You know, I'm sure <laughs> there's opportunities that I haven't taken that God would have wanted me to take, or you know, maybe I've had thoughts, or I've I've not been. Uh, you know, I'm sure I've let God down. I'm not perfect, but I can stand before God and, and give book, chapter, and verse for the way I've lived my life, the way I've worshipped Him. It takes a lot of that fear away. Yes. I often wonder, I mean, we read in Genesis 18 of, you know, Abraham's intercessory prayer, and, and we admire that. We admire his courage to plead with God on, on his nephew's behalf like that. But I often wondered if his stomach was turning as he started. And I often wonder, uh, as he's walking up Mount Moriah with Isaac, is he sick to heart because he's not sure but what we see is even though abraham was a man of fault even though he sinned he lied to try to save his wife and you know try to save his own self and we see those sins we see those faults but overall his life was one of obedience and one of reverence toward god and that that was the tenor i like to use that word um, of his life that was the purpose of his life to fear God and to do what God has, has instructed him to do so I think while we look at the idea of judgment and have a certain amount of trepidation for it appropriately at the same time we should have some confidence if we've done the very best that we know according to what we understand of the word of God the interesting thing about that with Abraham and Isaac is, you know, when when Abraham was told to sacrifice his only son, right. there wasn't a or else. You know, there wasn't a do this or, do this or right. there's going to be consequence. Abraham just recognized this is what God's want, what God wants. I'm going to do it. And that pictures the perfect idea of fearing God. This is what God wants. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to do what he asked me to do. Absolutely. I want to end with a couple of passages in Revelation 19, verse 5. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. In Romans 11, verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. You have any closing thoughts, brother, before we end this episode? I think I'm good. I, I appreciate it. This is, I'm looking forward to future episodes. Sir, me too. If anything in this episode has sparked any questions, I hope you'll reach out. And I hope that you know that myself, Brother Michael, any of the, the brothers and sisters in our congregation will be happy to, to, uh, to have you visit with us. And we'll be happy to answer any of those questions that you may have. Tune in next week for another episode of the Send the Light podcast. I'm Matt Tyson here with Evangelist Michael Bolton. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. God bless you. Send the light, send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore.